Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul writes to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4.13, to exhortation and teaching. Skip down to verse 15. Take pains with these things, 1 Timothy 4.15, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, For as you do this, you will ensure, see how important this is? Salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now we dealt with this verse at a recent men's Bible study and some of the guys said, does this verse mean that you can lose your salvation? What what does it mean it'll ensure your salvation? Think with me, Bible students. The backdrop of 1 and 2 Timothy, what Paul is telling Timothy to guard against and watch out for and be strong is not to give in to false teachers and what? False doctrine. They were preaching another gospel. And Paul's in essence saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, the way to ensure your salvation and the salvation of the others is don't preach a false gospel. Because a false gospel doesn't have the true Christ in it. And if you don't have the true Christ, you're not going to be saved from the wrath to come. There is another Jesus, there is another gospel, and that's why you center your preaching in the scriptures, because they speak to these matters. Now we know when Jesus, there's a practical part of the power. In Ephesians 6.17, we're told that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And when the devil came to Jesus three times, Jesus, dealing with the devil, said, It is written! No, I'm not going to do that because it is written. Now, our culture and the church culture is struggling with many ethical issues, from abortion to homosexuality, and there's all these points of emphasis, gun control, violence, you name it. And we're trying to figure out, have people been born this way? Is there a gene? What's the problem? How do we figure out? Look, the moment that you remove a moral absolute, If you don't say that absolutes come from God and there's good evidence that they do, then what ends up happening is the people decide morals. Now, if you lived in Nazi Germany and the leader of that nation and the people that he convinced are deciding morals, you don't want to be there, folks. There's a danger in not having an objective standard. Now, people are saying... But people seem to have a bent in this direction. Yes, some people have a proclivity to addiction. They, they have an addictive personality, in other words. Some people struggle with same-sex attraction. Some people are drawn to other sins. Uh, adultery, gambling, drug use, you name it. Anger. Look, the issue is, people say, well, maybe they were born that way. Let me clarify something. They were. They were. David says, in iniquity my mother conceived me. Look, we come out of the womb kicking and screaming. I don't know if you've noticed. And it goes beyond the high chair days. In the high chair days, oh, Johnny's so wonderful. And then he takes his food and he throws it. We come out that way. What do we got to teach kids to do? 
We've got to teach them to come to know God and to be honest and to be caring and not be so selfish. Look, are we born that way? Yes. I'm not making a case for a gene. I don't believe that. Just so you know what I'm saying. But are we born in sin, kicking and screaming? Of course we are. Every single day, see if you can relate to this, I hope I'm not alone. Every single day, my flesh wants to do a bunch of bad stuff. Every day. 10, 12 times a day or more. And I'm a preacher. <laughs> and sometimes my flesh just says, what did you do? Yeah, just go ahead. And I just shut up. No! I'm not going to do that. Now, why do I do that? Because I want to honor God. Because the Holy Spirit's inside me, convicting me. But that doesn't mean my flesh doesn't want to do a bunch of bad stuff a bunch of times a day. But what happens is I buffet my body. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. And I make it it my slave, lest by, if I am overcome by sin, and I don't do that, I disqualify myself after I've preached to others. Every day's a battle. Join the party. Look, trying to push down the flesh so it doesn't have mastery over you is part of the struggle of this existence even after you have come to know Christ. As a matter of fact, maybe it's even more amplified after you come to know Christ. But the point is this. The Scriptures speak to us. And when we come, we hear the Word of God. And sometimes it's uncomfortable but we know it produces in our lives. So the priority of the Word of God is what we're talking about. And if you look at 2 Timothy, I want you to see, uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says these words, verse 2. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to who? Faithful men. We need faithful men in the pulpits. We will be able to teach others also. And then go to 2 Timothy 4. Look at verse 1. Right after talking about all Scripture being inspired by God and profitable, he moves into chapter 4, the last chapter Paul ever wrote. Very important. He's going to share his final thoughts with his son in the faith, he says, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come, and brothers and sisters, it is here, when they will not endure sound doctrine or healthy doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let me say this to you. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that a man of God must rightly divide the word of truth. The apostles in Acts 6.4 said we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In in, uh, Acts 18, I think it's verse 24, Apollos is called mighty in the scriptures. And in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, there's a great revival in Israel. And the reason that there's a revival is they get back to the word of God. 
And up on a podium or a, a elevated platform or pulpit is a man named Ezra. He's been prepared for this very moment. Write this down. This is Ezra 7, 10, and 11. It says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now this is the copy of the decree which King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, learned in the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. And when they began to read the word, if you remember Nehemiah 8, the people heard it and the people began to cry. They began to weep all over the place and the people were saying this. I think there was a twofold response. One, we didn't realize the word of God asked us to do that. And two, we are not doing that. And the people began to weep because they could see what had happened to their nation as a result of booting the Bible out. That's why they were where they were. Trying to rebuild a city under pressure that had been demolished and destroyed because God had allowed judgment to come to his people because they had decided to kick him out of their culture and instead embrace idolatry. And so the man of God got up there and he, from the idea of a pulpit, he began to expose the Bible to them. He exposed the word of God. And their response was, oh goodness, we're in deep trouble. And the good news there was they said, don't weep. Today is a day of the Lord. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And the nation was revived, but God had prepared a man of God to preach the word of God. Look, if you're going to have surgery in your body, let's say an intricate surgery, do you, do, do you ask the doctor a few questions? Like if I'm going to have intricate surgery, I'm going to be asking about credentials. And then I'm going to say, I don't see any gray hair on you. I'd like to see some gray hair. How many times have you done this procedure? You look like you just got out of high school. Anybody resonating with this? I want a little expertise before somebody starts tinkering around with my body. Folks, more heresy than you can shake a stick at is preached with people walking around with a Bible. Because Second Peter says that they twist the Scriptures to their own destruction. There's no guarantee because a Bible sitting up there that someone's preaching truth. Hence, the name of the sermon is Be a Berean. Check it out. See if what's being said is true. Come with a heart that hungers to know the things of God, and I think you will start to experience personal revival in your life. See, this is what it's about. Now, please go back to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. There is a famine in the land, brothers and sisters, and I think you know it. It's a famine for the Word of God. we got to get back to it. And so here's Paul. He's come to... Thessalonica, he's found the synagogue, and he has a custom, and I hope you have a custom or a habit or practice of sharing and reasoning with people. He went to them in the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, not from philosophy, not from the latest rabbinic tradition. Paul got into the Bible. And the Bible was at the center of what he did. And he reasoned with them. See that word reason? It's the Greek word where we get the English word dialogue. It means to ponder, 
to revolve in the mind, to converse, discourse, uh, with one saying something thoroughly. It means to argue and discuss. And so this may not have been a formal sermon. It may have been more like a dialogue and back and forth they went and Paul would present an idea and then they would ask questions and there is a place for dialogue in witnessing to people. It may take three or more meetings to get somebody at a place where they understand who Christ is. There's a place to give people some information and let them ponder. There's a place to give people information and let them think a little bit. Now, when I was first a Christian, I was the closer. You know who the closer is? You've got to close the deal right now. So you give people a little bit and you say, you ready to pray? The sinner's prayer right now. Now look, there should be a sense of urgency for the gospel, but we want to make sure somebody's understanding what they're doing as well. There's a balance there. There is an urgency but we need to make sure people understand what they're doing. And there may be a time when you need to get into dialogue with somebody for a while. Say, I'll meet you next week. Write down your questions. And we'll dialogue a little bit more. And I hope you have the ability to answer Bible questions. I hope you're growing enough where you could say to somebody, let me answer that for you. Or the least of which you could say, you know what, I don't know the answer, but I'm willing to research it and get back to you. I want you to see this practice for Paul. Look at Acts 18, verse 4. He would go and dialogue. He would reason with people. He would even argue with them. You know, Jewish people are kind of like Italians, and I'm sure other cultures can, can relate to this. We don't have low-volume conversations. My wife is Irish, and I know the Irish people can be pretty fiery too. She would come to our holiday table, and she would just have to yell louder than everybody else. Because if you don't yell, you're not going to be heard. Oh, what about this? Oh, what about that? What about this? Finally, she said, hey, I'm talking here. She's tough. Anyway, so I would imagine that the dialogue wasn't all, always, well, I, maybe you just misunderstood. And No, I'm sure there were some heated exchanges. Back and forth. What do you mean he's the Messiah? Well, let me show you this. Dialogue, discourse, back and forth. Look at Acts 18. Look at verse 4. And he in Corinth was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Why was he trying to persuade people? Because there is a wrath coming, folks. Look at uh, Acts 18.19. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and what did he do? He reasoned with the Jews. Go to Acts 19, look at verse 8. Acts 19, verse 8. He entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some, Acts 19, 9, were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, that's a description of Christianity, Before the multitude, he withdrew from them. He took away the disciples. Here's our word again. Reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This was Paul's custom. He grabbed people who had legitimate questions and even struggles with the Bible. He said, okay, let's dialogue. Let's talk. I'll meet you for coffee. I'll meet you at the the local coffee place or yogurt shop. Let's crack open the Bible and we'll get into it. Because you should believe, and I do, and I'm sure you do as well, that the Bible will speak for itself. It has power. It has authority. 
keep bringing people back to it. You know, there's a, there's a story about a, a guy and he's an atheist and this, this brand new Christian has decided to go out street witnessing. And so all she knows is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So this atheist sees this Christian group out there and he, what about this? What about that? And he comes and he gets right in her face. What about evolution? What about this? What about the age of the earth? And just barraging her. And she said, I don't know, sir. All I know is the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes. And so she just kept repeating this verse and finally he was disgusted with her and she was just devastated. And he went off, and the next day, she's out there again. She was brave enough to go back out, and here comes the same atheist guy again. And he walks up there and she's like, oh, no. And he says, look, I want to say something to you. I couldn't sleep last night, and all I kept thinking was God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him. You know, one verse, folks, Rotating in the mind of a person has power. God's word. See, this is what we're talking about. And so Paul, he he goes into these places, and what's he doing? He's reasoning with them, not from philosophy, not from the latest fad or topic that we could pick. He is reasoning with them, would you notice, from the scriptures. You might want to write Isaiah 118. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Now Paul was not only reasoning from the scriptures in a dialogue type form, but he was, verse 3, explaining. Literally that means opening or to open thoroughly, to open by dividing. Jesus in Luke 24, the two on the road to Emmaus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the idea. He opened it, he explained it to them by dividing it correctly and giving them the exposition, the exposed meaning. And he was giving evidence, verse 3, NIV uh, renders this proving. What was his case? He was proving that the Christ, Jesus, had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And he was saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The idea of giving evidence means literally to place beside, he was taking a prophecy, putting out it out before the people and placing beside the prophecy the fulfillment in Christ. He took Psalm 22 and placed it in front of them. You see, it says they'll pierce his hands and his feet. Jesus died on a cross. He took Micah 5.2. See, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. See, he'll be called a Nazarene. Where, was Jesus, where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. See, he'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. What happened in Jesus' case? Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53, Psalm 16 about the resurrection. He placed the prophecy next to the fulfillment, and he said, you see... Jesus is the Christ. Now, if you want to know, if you've heard a sermon that's centered in the scriptures, see if Jesus is in the middle of the whole thing. Because the book of Hebrews says, in the volume of the scroll, it is written of me, O Lord, to do thy will. Jesus is all over the scriptures. It's all about him. And if you walk away from a sermon and you didn't hear much about Jesus at all, or very little about Jesus, I'll guarantee you one thing. They probably weren't doing expositional preaching. They probably weren't going through the verses. If you walk out of there and you go, what was that about today? And you didn't hear about Jesus, you can be assured that the Bible was not preached. 
Because every good teacher begins and ends with Jesus because he's the beginning and the end and he's the middle. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's how you can judge it. I heard a story of a young preacher, had an African-American lady, older lady in the congregation, wanting to encourage the, old, the young preacher. And she was older and on in years, and she's going to keep him accountable. And every time she sensed in a sermon that there wasn't enough Jesus, she would say, get him up! Get him up! From the front row. And that was always a sign that he wasn't preaching enough Jesus. See, if you're not hearing about Jesus, there's something wrong, folks. That's what the Bible is about. He's what the Bible is all about. And so, there's Paul's focus. He's giving evidence. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. And, of course, telling people, believe, believe, believe. And some, as often happens when you do this, not everybody, but some of them were persuaded and they joined, this is Acts 17, verse 4. They joined Paul and Silas. You're welcome. Sometimes I go too fast and I know I lose you guys. Some of them were persuaded, Acts 17, 4, joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks. So not only Jews in the synagogue, but Gentiles believed, followed, and a number of the leading women, appears to be prominent women in the society, maybe in the upper class also, were persuaded and believed. And just a, another point. You know, there's a lot of people who are Christians today who are pro athletes and movie stars. Uh, you might be surprised how many people in these prominent spots are actually believers. Now, it's pretty impressive if someone can hit a golf ball 350 yards and hit it straight. I'd like to know the secret to that. But, but here's the point I think there's a recognition by people everywhere, prominent, in a third world culture with nothing to their name or a prominent leading woman or man in a culture, we need Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. This world's in trouble. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And the Bible tells us how God has uh, come into the world to save us and how he's going to fix it. And the question is, are you on board or not? You can do it your way or his way. But I'll tell you this, his way is going to be done. I always like to be on the winning team, personally. So I want to get on his program. But the Jews, becoming jealous, so they were, or they were envious, and taking along some wicked men, so not everybody liked the message, and that's going to happen, it says they took along some wicked men. If you have a King James, this is one of the classic renderings, took along certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. That's King James English. NIV calls them a group of bad characters. From the marketplace, they formed a mob. This was the Jewish plan to oppose the gospel from those who wouldn't believe. Set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. So they banged on the door or whatever, called for Paul and Silas. We know you, you've, you've let them stay here. You've shown your hospitality. Bring them out. Uh, we got business to do with these fellows. And when they did not find them, verse 6, they began dragging Jason, who was probably a Jewish guy who opened his home to Paul, probably became a believer. Can you imagine being Jason? Okay, Paul and Silas, you can stay here. Hospitality is big in our culture. Now they come banging on your door. This is not what I signed up for, man. And they're dragging Jason off and some of the brethren before the city authorities, and they were shouting 
And they said, these men who have upset the world, New King James, turned the world upside down, have come here also. They are causing trouble everywhere, and now they're here. And these men have turned the world upside down. And I say, praise the Lord. The world's already upside down. It needs to be turned right side up again. That's what the gospel does, by the way. But not everybody's happy if you upset the apple cart. And that's what these Jewish uh, opposers were doing. They were saying, no, these guys are stirring up trouble. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Here's the classic verse. It's Acts 17.11. Now these uh, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, the, these, those in Berea. For they received the word with great eagerness, and that's a great blessing, examining, that's the idea of judging the scriptures daily. They were judging, examining the scriptures in, in the sense of making sure they had it correct as related to what Paul said. They did this daily to see whether these things were so. What made the Bereans more noble? They were open, they were excited, teachable yet diligent to to check out what was being said and to make sure it lined up with scripture and if it did to happily receive it to be able to say amen to something means we agree that's right so if you're going to say amen to something just make sure it's right and it's biblical and if it is and it's good then yeah a hearty amen is awesome be a berean pick up your bible more than just on a Sunday, folks. Check out the scriptures. Not just to be someone who is making sure that everybody's dotting their I's and crossing their T's, but read your Bible so that it can read you. Read your Bible so that it can fill that spiritual place in your life. The Bible is spiritual food. We need God's word. He breathed it out. We need to take it in. There's only one way to do that. Well, there's a few, but you got to read it or listen to it, or uh, I don't I don't know what else you're really going to do besides those couple of things, right? Study it, but you got to get into the Word of God to get the Word of God into you. Have you been being lazy about your Bible? Oh, it's easy to get into that mode. I know I'm not here to beat you up, but I am here to say that if you've been feeling dry, maybe you are going through more susceptibility to temptation. Maybe you are just not as active as you used to be as a Christian, could it be, my brother, my sister, that you put down your sword and you need to pick it up again? Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org.
That's livingtruthcorona.org.